0: Good to be here. Thank you for having us yet again. Those of you who don't know, us, I'm David and my wife Sue, and we've been coming to Holy Trinity about once a year for, I don't know, the last 10 years or so. I'm a good friend of John, and we're good friends of John and Anna's. And every year John invites us, whether out of necessity or compassion, <laughs> um, is not entirely clear. Uh, and I keep thinking every year, this will not last. Uh, but here we are again. Uh, Probably you think this will not last either, Um, but it's good to be here. Psalm 47 is a psalm celebrating kingship. In fact, many scholars believe that the psalm was uh, read or sung annually in the temple when the nation was commemorating and remembering uh, and celebrating the greatness of their God who had come amongst them to rescue them, to renew their lives, to give them a land, to give them a hope, and one day to reign supreme. He already does, but one day will in the final consummation. So it's a powerful psalm, and and you can't mistake, and Brian caught the mood of it and the excitement of of it as he read, God is king, God is king, God is king, God is awesome, God is lifted up, God is great. Just very simply, um, a few reflections tonight, Uh, and really quite briefly, it's lovely to see you all, there's more here I think than I remember before, every time I come, the evening service is in a different configuration, Uh, it was Cafe Church for a while, then we were stuck over in the North Isle. And now, because I suspect, because you've grown, uh, we're um, one big body, so that's really good. Just one or two thoughts. Um, The psalm evokes from us a sense of joyful celebration. Because God is king, God is enthroned, God is ruler of the world that he has created. And that should call forth from the people of God a sense of joyful celebration. God is here. God is alive. God will not be excluded from his world. And the God who is enthroned, who we worship, is the God who is drawn near to us. It's very interesting uh, that in the psalm he talks, or the sense, it, it actually doesn't say that, the sense that God has come down among his people and then God will be lifted up and enthroned. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4 where John has his vision of heaven um, he says, uh, he looks up and he's, he's, in, he's um, in, in exile on the island of Patmos just 30 miles off the coast of Asia Minor and uh, he's looking up one day spiritually alert into the heavens as it were and the heavens part, and part, part in his imagination and he sees God enthroned. But what is interesting is that he says, I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. Now, I love that. Not a throne in heaven, remote, uh, empty maybe, but a symbol of power. But I saw a throne, and someone was sitting on it. Because God is personal. It's like, you know, when you try to get. Uh, in in contact with uh, some major corporation you know it on the phone and you wait and you wait and you wait and the music jangles if they could play some baroque Zadok the priest or something you could live with it Um, and it says hang on stay on the phone your call is important to us I sometimes feel they should say stay on the phone until your call ceases to be important to you yeah, but, uh, and then eventually the music stops, and oh the relief! Oh the relief when you get a personal voice. It may not be very nice, but it's personal, and you think I can—I'm in touch with someone, and I can talk about my issues. And so it is that the God who is enthroned, who we worship, honour, and adore, is the God who is personally involved. I'll say a little bit more about that. Just. At the end but first of all joyful celebration that our God reigns king of kings majesty lord of heaven living in me love that song we sung some lovely 1990s song or, or first decade of the 20th century you can sing them they've got rhythm No, they've not got rhythm, they've got melody. Um, uh, Sorry, I'll get on my hobby horse, really. But there'll be some lovely songs today about the kingship of of Christ. But the second thing that comes to my mind and comes out of the text, uh, not only joyful celebration, but anguished awareness. Anguished awareness that not everyone, in fact, maybe the majority of people, do not celebrate the kingship of God. And the psalm talks about the nations whom God has to subdue, has subdued, and one day will finally subdue. And so, as we celebrate the kingship of Jesus, let us be aware and let us be anguished, actually, about those who do not own or understand or know that kingship and who live floundering in the darkness of unbelief. One thinks of nations across the world, of atheistic regimes, of wicked rulers, of evil men in charge and women. And uh, I don't need to go into the historical contemporary details. You, You can call that to mind it has always been so and it continues to be so today or one can think of individuals who um, who oppose any sense of God as king and who arrogantly banish him from life I just picked a book from John's uh, bookshelves I don't know what he's doing with it I need to talk to him when he gets back it's um, Steven Pinker, one of the world's most influential thinkers and writers on the human condition. And he has just a a paragraph about God, just time to banish God from the universe. And he says the first is that there is no good reason to believe that God exists. He talks about the arguments and the arguments from faith, from revelation, from scripture, from authority, from tradition and from subjective appeal. These are not arguments at all. Historical scholarship has amply demonstrated that the scriptures are all too human products of the historical era, including internal contradictions, factual errors, plagiarism from neighboring civilizations, and scientific absurdities about the reality of God. And so he goes on, and on. I don't know why I'm bothering to read it to you, but one, it is important that one does understand. Uh, what people, what very clever people are thinking one of the interesting things is I don't think I've ever read an atheist who has been ever anything other than unpleasant in the dismissal of the God who does not exist don't understand that um, well I do, well I think I understand some of it but it seems to be a, a fact universally observed uh, that that is the case So alongside nations that turn away in anger and war against the God of goodness and love, against key thinkers in our uh, world, in areas of philosophy and education and entertainment, wherever it may be, politics, there are the majority of people walking around the streets of St. Peter Port, walking around the streets of Derby where we live, who do not acknowledge that God is king. We were just talking last night. we got two friends with us, Martin and Kate. It's lovely to have them here this week. And we were talking about someone uh, that we both knew about who, who'd been saying to, to, to Kate um, that their daughter had been brought up as a Christian in the church, uh, had now just walked away and had no space in a busy, exciting, materialistic grabbing culture and personal career and beautiful house that they were building. And out of all that, God had been excluded. God is dethroned from that life for the moment. And one could uh, think of many other examples of that, of course, in our own experience. So as we think about the kingship of, of God in our world, And as we joyfully celebrate what that means to us in terms of love and security and hope and peace and renewal, there is an anguish in our hearts for those who do not acknowledge, whether defiantly or indifferently or in ignorance or through failure or or through suffering and doubt and disbelief. And yet, beneath that, there is there's a great hunger. I am always moved by that famous sentence. Well, not famous, but but uh, Julian Barnes, one of his novels. He opens his novels by saying, "The man saying, uh, I don't believe I don't believe God exists, and I'm missing him." And there's a deep hunger in a world where an out of church, an out of um, understanding, uh, church is meeting a spiritually hungry world in the West, and in, in that vacuum or in that tension, um, people are, lo- are are lost and and unaware that God is King. The third thing that comes out of the Psalm. Better get my Bible back, haven't I? put Pinker down and exchange him for the Bible I think that would be a good idea Um, it's just an awesome realisation that God will have his way when you look at uh, verse 9 of Psalm uh, 47 let me just find it again, sorry for God is king of all the earth sing to him a, a psalm of praise God reigns over the nations. God is seated in His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God, of as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. And when you turn to Revelation at chapter 21, right at the end, of the vision of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And it talks in verse 21 there of that chapter that the kings and the, of the nations are gathered together with the people of God around the throne in exaltation. And one day Christ will be seen to be all in all. That doesn't mean to say everyone who's rejected him will be gathered, but it does talk about the multiplicity and, and the multicultural nature of the life of heaven, when God, by his mercy and grace, eventually gathers in those who have rejected but have now come to see and bow before that mercy. When at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord, and of his Christ and he shall reign forever so no triumphalism but a deep joyful confidence that one day all will be well and all manner of things will be well and the created world will be gathered around the throne when when heaven comes down we're not all going to float up on a cloud you do know that don't you that the end uh, heaven will come down and heaven and earth will be joined in new creation and we shall be together around the throne of God God is king the final thing that the psalm says to me is just that it evokes from me and I want it to evoke, to evoke from you a sense of personal involvement and encounter and allegiance. To who do we owe allegiance? There's been a lot of hoo-ha in the last uh, week about giving allegiance to King Charles III and, uh, and, and so on. And uh, it, it sort of, I think, faded away eventually. Uh, and, and in a sense, we do owe allegiance to our rulers. That's scriptural. But we don't owe final allegiance. King Charles III will die, as we all will, and there will be another king. King Charles II was crowned in Westminster Abbey on the 24th of April, 1661. You knew that, Richard, didn't you? And uh, in February 1685, he died from acute kidney failure. And he was buried in Westminster Abbey in uh, the chapel of Henry the S- the VII, And one commentator said, with very little cost and no ceremony. His coronation had been the most stupendous, over-the-top expensive one in many, many years. And a few years later, he died at little expense and with no ceremony. We have our little day. We come and we go. And we cannot put our allegiance in any earthly rule, in any other person, in any other system, in our bank account, in our home, in our family, in our career, but only in the living God who will be forever. And this is very personal. When we come to Christ... And let me just bring this, sorry I meant to say earlier that this talk about God is king becomes very personal because the kingship of God is then incarnated as we heard this morning this wonderful sermon when Jesus became the king, came down to earth in the incarnation and took on the kingship. And Rishi Sunak, a Hindu, uh, had to read Colossians 3, which talk, and he read it very well, bless him, and I pray that it may have meant something to him, about the utter supremacy of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the image of the Father. And to that God incarnate in Christ alone we have our allegiance, or to him alone we owe our allegiance. And that's a very personal thing. At the height of the coronation, um, the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury whipped the king round a screen. An enormous canopy, as the the speaker said this morning. But it wasn't a canopy, it was a screen. And uh, they went behind it. Because it was a sacred moment and in the middle of the singing, uh, of the the playing of Zadok the priest. That astonishing uh, piece of music. uh, The king is divested of all his splendid robes. And they put on on him a simple white garment. And there uh, in intimacy and alone the king and God he is anointed. And tonight, God is king over all the earth. And I want to ask you, and I I imagine the answer is yes, but you never know. Is he your king? And can you own allegiance to him who alone rules over all, who alone holds your life in his hands, who alone loved you to the death of the cross, who alone rose from the dead for you, who alone is seated at the the right hand of God, so that you may sit there with him. Again, Colossians chapter 1. May God help us to understand these truths and bow our knees to King of Kings, in whose name we pray. Amen.